Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, so hopefully people are here and we'll let people arrive as we go along. Um, so this month's book was, well, it was an essay um, by Sam Harris. And it was all about lying. And in it, Sam makes the argument, basically the moral argument, that all lies are bad, um, that all lies have a cost. And therefore, the, I guess, a moral goal, a moral ideal would be for us not to lie. So I wanted to just highlight a couple of things that have come up, um, for me at least, when I was listening to to the essay and things that I liked in particular were well first of all it's, it's good to have a working definition of anything that you're talking about so to in, uh, ensure that we're all on the same page that the act of lying is to deliberately mislead others when they expect honest communication and I think this makes the point about lying being I mean, it sounds obvious, but lying being relational. So lying being something around a kind of traversing or a perversion of the social contract and the social contract being that if I'm talking to you, then I expect you to be honest with me and vice versa. When you speak to me, you would like me to be honest in my appraisal of you. And so lying is a way in which we pervert that social contract and Sam makes quite a strong statement where he says that every lie is an assault on the autonomy of the other person. And I think I think that hits quite hard because I think we get very used to lying. And what was really interesting in the poll, so I don't know if you saw the poll results. What was really interesting in the poll was how much we lie. So basically everyone said that they told white lies but then similarly everyone had been hurt by white lies so something like 97% of people said that they told white lies but then 87% of people um, or thereabouts said that they'd been hurt by white lies that other people had told them and when I asked well in that case and knowing what you know now would you have preferred to have been told the truth in the first place basically everyone again 87 88% of you said Yes. So it puts us in quite an interesting position, doesn't it? That we, we're we all basically particip- participating in a behaviour that we all find harmful when we're on the receiving end of it. Mike says, I'd be massively interested to see the opposite poll. Who got told a hurtful truth and wishes someone had lied to them? So Mike has just volunteered to 
pop that as a poll in his uh, stories. And I think that would be really interesting because the assumption of the white lie is that we tell them to protect people's feelings and that therefore people are grateful or ought to be grateful to us when we do that. But when we make that assumption, actually, you have to realise that you're doing at least a couple of things, right? First of all, is that you're making an assumption about what somebody else would want. So unless you've sat down with someone explicitly and said, if I, let's say, I sit down with my best friend and I say, look, if ever it happens that I find out that your partner's cheating on you, or, you know, let's not, let's make it less egregious, uh, that they've kissed someone maybe at a party, um, would you want me to tell you or would you want me not to to say anything? Um, so unless you've sat down and had a conversation with that person where you have an explicit understanding of what they would want to know in a certain situation, you know, whether they would want their feelings preserved or whether they would like the truth, then actually the first thing that you're doing is making an assumption about what that other person would want. And that's a rather bold thing to do, I think. Um, you know, uh, yeah, unless you know them incredibly well, maybe unless even, I mean, even if you're their parent, I'm not, I'm not sure. Let's have that discussion. So you're making an assumption about what you think they would want. Um, and then you're not giving them the option. You, you, you're making that decision. You, you start with an assumption and then you make a decision about here is the amount of truth or here is the amount of reality that I'm going to permit you access to. And this is where I think it gets kind of punchy because I think generally we think about lies and white lies as being very gentle, very innocuous, don't worry about it, you know, the person probably won't remember, but, and I'll accept that I'm maybe taking this to a very kind of deeply psychological level, um, but there's something about the assumptions it makes and something about the status, the role of power in the relationship that comes into play when you lie to someone because as soon as you lie to someone there's a way in which you shift the relative status of the individuals in that relationship you kind of in most situations say that i have the power here i have the power to decide about what is reality or how much as i say how much reality you have access to and i've decided you don't need access to that much reality you're welcome to have this version of reality that I know isn't accurate. Um, and I think that's where the pain of being lied to often hits. Um, quite often when people talk about discovering affairs, what really hurts them is suddenly realizing that they were existing in a completely different reality to their partner, that they had an idea or a view of what their relationship was or what was happening in their lives, what kind of marriage relationship they were in. But actually that entire time there was a separate parallel reality that their partner was existing in and that their partner knew they didn't have access to. And it's the betrayal and I think the misuse of power in that situation that is often the lingering pain. There's the, the, the pain of the, the actual affair or the um, infidelity but then the lingering pain is what must you think of me what 
have you decided about me to say that I'm, I I don't deserve the truth? And, and then that gets compounded with the idea that actually you were living a different truth with a completely different person. And this completely different person has this higher view of my relationship that you had no access to. So it, it becomes very, very murky. So I'm going to leave that with you for a second and go to some of your questions more about the kind of um, the underpinnings of lying. And one question that came in was, uh, is lying innate? And whilst there is some, you know, trickery and mimicry and deception in the natural world, you know, some primates do it, some aspects of kind of camouflage could be seen as deception. Um, actually, for humans, it's not innate. Um, children have to learn how to lie. And in order to do that, they need to acquire two specific skills. And one, the first, and, and these usually emerge around the age of three, um, three or four, maybe five. Um, so between three and five. The first is that they have to understand, they have to have integrated social norms and the social rules. So basically the idea, for example, that if I tell the truth, I might be punished versus if I lie, I might get away with it. So they first have to take in this kind of broader sociological understanding of the way that the world works. And then secondly, they have to acquire what's called theory of mind. And theory of mind is the understanding that other people have a different view of the world or a different access to knowledge than you do. And they test that with children. Um, and you can see it very starkly. What they do is they, you know, they take a psychologist will take two dolls, for example, um, doll A and doll B. And what they will say is, OK, so doll A has a teddy bear and they leave the room and doll B comes in and takes the bear and hides it behind the door. Now, when doll A comes back in, where will they look for the bear? And so before the child has theory of mind, so when they assume that um, everybody knows exactly what I know, they'll say, oh, they'll look behind the door because that's where they put it. And they'll assume that the other child will know that it's there. But when a child acquires theory of mind, what they will say is, oh, well, they'll they'll look where they left it. They'll understand that child A or doll A will have a different view of the world or a different understanding of the situation than they do, that they have a, a kind of privileged information that doll A wouldn't have had because they left the room. So in order to lie, children need to acquire this. And theory of mind tends to emerge between the ages of three and five. And so... No, it's not innate, but interestingly, it can be an indicator of a kind, it's a kind of developmental milestone. So in some ways, parents can be a bit happy <laughs> when they discover that their child's lied to them. But no, so no, it's not innate, but it is uh, an emergent property of, of psychological development. Um, and this is where it becomes um, relevant as to what the social norms are, right? Because if children have to learn how to lie, then they have to learn it from somewhere. Um, and I think there's an interesting argument here because unless, you know, unless we manage to kind of snap our fingers and create a utopia where nobody lies to each other, essentially you send children out into the world with a real conflict, right? The first part is that 
it's it's good to tell the truth. I want you to tell the truth. I value you if you tell the truth. Um, good people tell the truth. You know, all these things that we say about honesty. Honesty is the best policy. Um, you know, I, 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 it's better for everyone if you're honest. But in the society in which we exist at the moment, what we know is that people do gain and benefit from lying and that they will be lied to. Um, so there's this real conflict around the, I guess what we'd call the theory of honesty, right? The theory of honesty is that it's the best policy and uh, everybody should do it and the world would be better off if we, if we did versus the kind of uh, lived experience of honesty, uh, which is that, well, as we saw in the poll, most people are lying very frequently. Um, and certainly we have very clear demonstrations in our own politics is that A, lying can get you somewhere and B, increasingly, there are very few penalties for lying. And so that becomes a real, a real challenge, I think. And one of the the you know the common examples that comes up is um is around santa claus and is it all right to lie to children about santa claus and that's one of the questions that came in um somebody said that you know on one hand it's a deception that you're, you're lying about where the presents came from you're lying about a fat man who lives in the north pole who arrives in your house breaks into your house through the chimney defies the laws of physics um to bring you presents and <laughs> um you know, and you might be doing that for years and years and years. But on the other hand, is it is it indulging the child's creativity? Is it about uh, magic and imagination? And aren't those things and aren't those qualities that you want to encourage children to have? Don't you want them to feel you know, inspired and, and excited? I think that, I mean, that's something that Sam goes into in the essay. And I guess, and perhaps I take a slightly more, I have, I have real difficulty lying to children. I find that, you know, I, I kind of uh, gets into me a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I'm not going to begrudge people who, who do, but I, I guess I would wonder whether it's who it's really serving and um, would the children still be as happy, still be as excited, still be as, enthused by Christmas anyway or is this a necessary feature of it is it a cultural artifact I think that's um quite an interesting open question and to go back to your questions why do people lie to themselves um and this is obviously this is core to the work that a psychologist does or a therapist does um because one of the things as well as lying to each other uh, humans are also very gifted very talented at lying to ourselves or at least denying certain realities in favor of of something else um i think it takes on a different quality ish to the kinds of lies that we tell to other people um we tend to tell lies to other people either to kind of uh, gain something to make ourselves look good um perhaps to make them feel better but again arguably when that comes to the issue of trust which maybe we'll talk about in a second that's quite a you're kind of hedging some bets there to say that i'm going to make you feel better by slightly deceiving you i think 
Um, and I think that's what we saw in the poll, possibly. I didn't get people to sending their reasons. But, you know, I think one of the things that emerges is that when I discover that you've lied to me, I lose trust in that relationship. And since relationships are so important to our well-being, so important to the way that we conceive of ourselves, right? We learn about ourselves from the relationships that we have, from the interactions that we have with other people, from the way that other people treat us. When we discover that we've been lied to, it does something to our own self-conception, self-conceptualization, right? It says something like, am I the kind of person that gets lied to? Am I not worth being told the truth? Do people not think I'm strong enough to handle the truth? Do they not think I am worthy of the truth? You know, it becomes a very, very complicated and quite painful set of questions that someone has to has to go into in order to reconcile the understanding of why they were lied to. So when it comes to lying to ourselves, I think there are elements of that quite often. Lying to ourselves, and, and sometimes it's not as, as explicit as lying to ourselves. I speak quite often about the idea, well, there are kind of three things to look at. There's repression, suppression, and turning a blind eye are the kinds of ways that we lie to ourselves psychologically. So repression, classically, is the idea that knowledge becomes unavailable um, and you see this in therapy most often when people just say I cannot remember you know whole chunks of their lives will disappear and becomes completely inaccessible to them and quite often what emerges as they go along in the therapy is that things will come back or, or become more accessible and, and often that's in relation to how much actually they can tolerate um, how much of the reality of their early experience they can they can tolerate um, and that's often linked to dissociation maybe i will describe so dissociation uh, in response to trauma specifically dissociation is a way in which the brain and uh, the mind protects itself um, and what it can do is almost just either shut down or take you away somewhere completely different and so it's possible for some people and you know it can be quite a controversial area but that these things become unavailable for those reasons. Suppression is information that you know, but you don't think about. And that's very, very similar to turning a blind eye. And this is the idea that actually, and, and often people will, ref, will notice it's suppression when, when the truth finally comes out, they say, actually, I did have a, an inkling. I did have a sense, right? I, there were red flags but I chose to ignore them. I chose to turn away from them. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to have to deal with anything else. I didn't have the resources, whatever it might be. So suppression is turning your, your mind's eye, really, away from something that is available, perhaps because it's more convenient um, to not have to, to address it in, in, in the moment. Um, and so when we lie to ourselves, it tends to be around a, a kind of denial, a denial of something that we don't want to be true, something that we don't think we could tolerate being true, um, and an unwillingness or an inability to face loss, right? So uh, in the example of, of, of say, um, inklings that someone was having an affair 
if you acknowledge it, then you have to deal with it. And then perhaps the relationship breaks down and then you have to deal with the losses that come with that. So maybe it's just easier to just ignore it. Again, then you have that question of how, you know, is it easier? What is the cost then? Or to you, to the relationship, do you stay in something that's unhappy um, and, and at the same time then cut yourself off from the opportunity to have something else because you can't face the truth? Do you have, you know, there's obviously a limit to the the true depth um, and honesty and safety of the relationship if you know or suspect that your partner is being untrue to you. So, you know, there are always costs. I think, um, but it's often about how much the person feels they're able to tolerate. All right, so a couple of you asked about the impact on psychology or on brain health of of lying, and that's uh, <laughs> I think it's a tough one because what you'd have to do in terms of looking at long term impacts on brain health is that you would have to find someone kind of later on in their lives or, or a big group of people and say. Um, were you terrible liars for lots of consistent parts of your life and compare those to people who said, no, I was very honest all the time. Um, and quite often people don't want to admit to having been liars. Um, but what we do know about lying is that it is, um, it's more demanding than telling the truth. And that shows up often in um, imaging studies. So when they put people in an MRI and get them to lie and look at the glucose utilization in their brain, how hard their brain is having to work in order to either tell the truth or to lie. The brain is working harder and that's because it has to do a few different things, right? First of all, if you're telling a lie, you have to first hold on to what the truth is. So there's, you know, okay, this is what the real story is. Then you have to generate a lie then you have to modulate the lie to make sure it's believable right you're like okay well I can't say you know something completely fantastic because then they'll know I'm lying so you have to create something that's believable when you're creating something that's believable you have to have a sense of what the other person thinks um you have to be paying attention to cues from them like um if you're telling me a lie and I'm like mm-hmm then you're having to process my um, facial expressions make an assumption about or, or make an assessment about what that means, what I understand, how much truth I might be accepting from you, how much I think you're lying. You have to hold on to that. You have to suppress your own agitation about lying because most people don't, other than sociopaths, find lying kind of uncomfortable. Um, and so there's so much more work that has to be done in order to lie and to maintain a lie. Because even after that, if it's a lie that is longer term, right, it is exhausting. <laughs> right? If it's a lie that's longer term, then you've also got to remember what you said. You've got to be like, okay, so when you asked me that, I told you this. And I need to then, in the future, whenever we have that kind of interaction, whenever it possibly comes up again, I need to try to do my best to stay consistent with the lie that I told you maybe six months ago. Um, and we know, for example, that memory is unreliable. Most memory is a reconfiguration. It's, it's a recreation. It's not, it's not like um, it's not like making a copy of something. Actually, when whenever you remember something, you slightly reimagine it and you slightly shift it around. Um, so memory is unreliable. And so then you've got to you see. So it becomes a very, very difficult task. And so it, in that sense, lying is 
yeah, it's very stressful. Um, it's very demanding. And again, all of this energy that you end up using in order to maintain the lie is taking you away, A, from just having perhaps just peace of mind, um, but also from being get, able to engage honestly with that person. In the mindset of fake it till you make it, would that imply a self-lying and therefore psychologically being dishonest with ourselves? So... <clears throat> Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'm the best person to ask about that because I'm not sure I'm a fake it till you make it kind of person in as far as I'm not sure it works. And so I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Let's see, let's run through that. So, so for example, I wouldn't tell someone to fake being confident. I would tell someone that most people aren't confident. It's fine not to feel amazingly confident and that confidence comes with practice rather than fakery um, and that you what we would want you to do is to practice maybe smaller moments of confidence so that you build up the, the practice and the habit of confidence un, until it feels much more natural to you uh, so I I'm not sure how on board I would be with um, fake it till you make it if someone out there says that it's worked for them then do drop into the comments and and let me know but uh, why fake it when you could just work on doing it honestly right or you know or work on reconciling where you are with it in 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 reality hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So going back to lying to yourself, someone... So there were two questions on that, and one of them was, how do I reconcile myself to the lies uh, to the times before when I've lied to myself um, and I, it's tough to say because I'm not entirely sure what kinds of lies this person was telling themselves what they were saying uh, what the function of it was uh, whether it was just a kind of internal lie or whether it was also something that uh, other people became aware of you know so there are complexities I think one of the most helpful things to understand is very often we're all just doing our best with the information we had at the time. 
and it's that idea that you know it, when you know better you do better so that th- this was in all likelihood a self-preservative strategy that you chose or developed in a, in order to to get through in which case again it's important to be a bit self-compassionate and to understand that you know you're very unlikely to be the only person who's ever done that in the history of humanity um and so that if you would cut somebody else some slack for that then it might be very very worth you cutting yourself a little bit of slack for that and then then decide what you want to do right so you know if if there are ways in which you have to make amends either to yourself or to others then to do that so the reparation um the fixing is an important part of it and then it's about going forward so i'm not massive on shame for the things that you've done in the past guilt can be a very healthy emotion because guilt is an emotional reparation um and it can once you understand it and you can um, process it and use it then you can go on to doing better and being better for yourself and perhaps for others as well. So somebody asks, why are some people better at lying and others are terrible at it? Is this a personality thing or something with the brain? Same thing. Um, I'm high functioning autistic and I can't lie. Are these things connected? So I don't know if I can speak specifically. Uh, well, actually, so what we know, you know, some things we know about autism is around, you know, when I said that when children, uh, learn to lie that what they have to do is be able to understand um, those social cues and to have integrated them um, and certainly know that some people with autism or on the autism spectrum um, have difficulty with the assessment of those social uh, cues um, so that might be one feature of it the the people who tend to be very good at lying tend to not find it stressful so they tend to not have that same you know when I kind of listed all of those things they tend to not find it stressful and I think they also tend to not value the relationship or relationships more generally so there is the ability to lie is often associated with a lack of empathy um, and that's because you're not putting yourself in the position of the other person or, or you know or greater comfort to, with lying is associated with a lack of empathy because you're not putting yourself in, in the other person's position and you're, you're thinking much more about what you uh, are set to gain from the lie. But the thing about what was interesting about some of the imaging studies and some of the reaction times, so one of what they do with um, lying is also to assess how long it takes someone to lie or to tell the truth. And for the people who had a tendency to tell the truth, what happened was is that they it wasn't even an option for them to lie you know they were asked a question they just told the truth and so I think this is very interesting because I think somebody did else did ask you know how can I move a little bit more towards honesty um and it's very similar to some of the discussion that we had about willpower on Sunday which is that your beliefs about it or your beliefs about yourself are quite important in relation to the way that you behave and so in relation to willpower um what we what was found with children was that if you told them in the marshmallow test if you told them that oh other children who were part of the green t-shirt group waited for the second marshmallow then those children were much more likely to wait than children who were who were told that you know other children in your group didn't wait so there was something about social norms there was something about conformity there was something about um, group membership 
uh, and self-conceptualization associated with your beliefs about the kind of person you are. So it might be something around saying to yourself or, or, or working towards the position of saying, I'm not the kind of person who lies or I'm an honest person or I'm wanting to be an honest person. I'm moving towards being someone who is honest as much as I can be. Um, and that that's, you know, that it's a, about how you see yourself in the world. And that, and that that point, lying stops being an option. Um, and I think this is the, the, the argument that, that Sam Harris puts forward, which is, he just says, you know, and, and what the evidence does show is that the more often you lie, the more it tends to lead to other lies. It's a kind of slippery lying slope. <laughs> and so that perhaps one of the best things to do is just to say, I don't lie. It'd be interesting to see uh, what you guys think about that, you know, how, how feasible it is, how desirable it would be, what that would do to society. I think this, I, I do think that there's something very strange going on in terms, certainly with our politics and the way that we see, there seem to be no, no penalties for absolute, bald face lies and what that does in terms of the trickle down you know when we see the people who we've elected or, or not um, but the people who are supposed to be the best of us when we see people who are supposed to embody the uh, ideals of the country the nation the organization then when we see them lie and not face any penalties what does it do to our own tendency or desire or ideals around honesty and lying. What is going on with people who lie to manipulate you to go along with their ideas? What kind of ideas? I mean, you might have just answered the question um, right there. You know, is it a form of manipulation? Um, and I think this is one of the arguments against lying, which is that if you're not giving people full access to reality then you're manipulating them you're manipulating their reality and you're manipulating their response to something and that's uh, what Harris says about um you're denying someone autonomy you know you're kind of stepping in and saying you're not allowed to make a decision for yourself I've made that decision for you by giving you a filtered or just untrue version of reality for you to live within but if I haven't answered your question, Becky, do um, do clarify. Why do people vote for those who have been proven liars? Do they choose to ignore it? Or is there an empathy with the liar? Mm. Okay, so this is a nice question. Um, I think it's I think it's really tough. So I think there's something around our social norms now. Um, I think a lot of our social norms are rather than being around community, the good you know the greater good the good of the tribe social bonds trust in the relationships i think a lot of our social norms now are around individual success you know we value people we value billionaires because they are billionaires and they are successful and we value people who have made it and who have who have all of the kind of accoutrements of of success and when we shift our value from community good to individual good then what that kind of does is to it devalues honesty because there is personal gain from honesty and so 
uh, yeah, I, I really think that what happens is that we tend to value their position and their status more than their individual integrity. It's almost like we want to identify more with their position, their wealth, their place in society, their status, than we do with their 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 integrity as a person. So I think it's something around, you know, that's my supposition. It's something around the social norms that we have at the moment that say that the individual is king and and therefore it's it's much less valuable, much less interesting as to how they treat other people. I would think that you act in a more fight or flight response in a dangerous situation rather than thinking through whether it's morally right or wrong to like. Yep, I think that's probably true. So yes and no like first of all it would do it depends on the level of threat um secondly it would depend on your sense of being able to tolerate that threat right so so quite often people will avoid having honest conversations because not because there's a real sense of threat or danger um but because they're not accustomed to tolerating the discomfort that comes with an honest or or forthright or difficult conversation so that might still tap into the fight or flight response but i i think there's also a way in which you know we're not we are able as humans to modulate the fight or flight response with you know preparation with action in the moment and, and with intention so um i was a yes and no <laughs> for that one um but i think that's a really good point can it say serve a safety function so so can lying serve a safety function again i think you have to get into an understanding of what safety is you know and, and it gets quite complex and um the question is you know what are you keeping safe what are the costs um, what are you sacrificing? Because obviously lying isn't safe in terms of the trust in the relationship. It might be safe in the moment, but is it safe in the long term? And often, you know, so if, uh, so the example was, you know, would lying be beneficial in the situation of a an abusive relationship? Um, I think equally often lying allows people to abuse so I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's that clear cut. I mean, I'm sure the answer is yes. I'm sure there are, you know, safeties in lying in certain situations. I'm not sure if that changes, you know, in terms of the the more broader the, the broader discussion that we're having here, which is around kind of the ideals of lying versus, um, you know, the morality of it versus the the immorality of it. How do you stop? when it has become a habit so again with this person i'm i'm not sure how much of a habit it is but i think it comes back again to making i think a while back we did the values card sort i think i described it in a podcast you can find it on my website on the resources page um and it was essentially a um, it's an exercise used to help people ident- identify their values, what they stand for, or what they want their lives to stand for. Um, I recommend uh, that everybody do it because whilst we all talk about having values or you know living a, a value-driven life, very few people actually sit down and um, really assess their values. And so, and and what values do is to act as a a kind of compass as a, 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 a compass point that you know you're heading towards these values and so if one of your values is honesty or integrity then 
it becomes much easier than if you're very clear about that to move in that direction. If you're very clear with yourself that, hey, this is the kind of person I want to be or this is the direction I want to move towards because, you know, there are very rarely absolutes in life and certainly not in psychology, then it becomes it becomes a, a, a question of working out who you are what you stand for, who you want to be. And as we saw in the, the MRI studies, that the the people who told the truth, for them, it just wasn't an option. It wasn't an option to lie. So it wasn't a decision. They didn't have to go, okay, maybe I'll tell the truth. It was just, I'm the kind of person who tells the truth. And so I'm just going to tell the truth. What is the reason behind compulsive liars as children? Uh, I remember having a childhood friend who would, lie about the tiniest things what she was doing on the weekend um so I think that's really complex sometimes it can just be you know almost a a kind of play you know so children have imaginary play and some children might just lie as a form of kind of interesting challenge sometimes it's it covers up trauma whether that is a kind of abuse happening at home or an emotional trauma that children will, you know, consciously or unconsciously lie, that they create a different reality. You know, sometimes it's a response to shame. So with this example, what was this girl doing at the weekend? You know, maybe, maybe it was nothing. Maybe she did nothing and she felt embarrassed about that. Or maybe, you know, she was having a really tough time at home. Um, and she lied about that or, or, or sometimes it's maybe not even that egregious and, and maybe it's about um self-esteem um and she just doesn't feel very good about herself um doesn't feel that she you know is there in the rankings and so confabulates these really what feel like quite impressive stories so that what she inspires in her friends is uh, is kind of awe or envy you know she wants to be envied and, and what that would suggest is that she just didn't actually feel very good about herself. And what's interesting about, you know, when I said that one of the things you have to be able to do is to construct a believable lie is that there is a kind of um, like an N-shaped curve for that. So children are not very good at constructing believable lies. You know, they can lie, but they're not very good at constructing believable lies. Um, and you see that in children who have like chocolate all around their face um, and then will deny having eaten all the chocolate biscuits. And people later on in life, so people after 45, tend to be not amazing at telling believable lies, which is interesting. And your your believable lying um, capacity, you know, when you're an expert believable liar tends to be somewhere between the ages of 18 and 29 and so I don't know if that's a good thing or not it seems to correlate with development in the prefrontal cortex and again that that front part of your brain is what's required to you know for decision making and reason so that decision to make a lie for example and those reasoning skills and so perhaps the people 45 plus are losing um, capacity in their prefrontal cortex which makes them not as good at telling believable lies as they were maybe 10 years ago so yeah so it, it could be a range of things I always think I think it's it's worth inquiring it's it, you know it, it's a an eyebrow raiser and and a red flag if children lie a lot it might not necessarily mean something about trauma but it might be saying something quite profound about how they feel 
about themselves, um, which is important, and, and self-esteem issues in children, we should try to catch as early as possible. The values card sort is, um, I've linked it on my website, which is Kimberly Wilson, uh, it's Kimberly with an L-E-Y dot C-O forward slash resources. And I don't know what other resources I've got on there. Um, anything that I've told you, I think there's some stuff from the, the book on there, but the card, the values card sort is in there and you can download it. And essentially it's like 87 cards with different values. All the instructions are on there and you can do the values card sort for yourself and try to come to a an agreement with yourself about what your values are. Maybe we will do that as a webinar at some point. Does that mean that lying can be a source of comfort for some people? Um, I'm not sure what this is linking back to, but I think I think it can create a sense of relief for some people. So for example, if I'm the girl who whose family was too poor to go on summer holidays right? um, there and then we come back to school and everybody in my school is talking about their summer holidays and I lie, I confabulate, you know, what I'm doing is protecting myself um, from feelings of shame, from feelings of embarrassment, from feeling like the odd one out. So in that sense, it could be a source of comfort or a sense of relief. Of course, there comes with the additional stress of being found out and and children perhaps not being particularly understanding or compassionate about the reason for lying in the first place then. In a relationship, is excessive lying and manipulation mentally quite abusive? Yes. Um, all right, let me just check the time because I know that, oh, we are all, we are, we're pretty much out of time, guys. Gosh, wow, that really flew. Um, let me just see if there was anything else that I wanted to say to pacify by lying. Oh, that was the last thing. So to pacify by lying, um, someone wrote in with a comment that said, my mind deflects to kindness. I have to lie to protect others. I would gently direct you to the responses of the poll, which said that most people, and maybe you have to make a democratic decision here, but most people, when they find out that they've been lied to, say that they would have preferred to have known the truth. And so when you are making that decision for yourself, that it's kinder to lie, you have to be really quite honest with yourself almost about actually who you're protecting and whether what we're talking about is, could you find the courage to be honest with your friend? Um, you know, I'm big on courage and moral courage here. And so maybe, what we're seeing, and this is where kind of Trump came to mind, um, and less so much Trump, but more Trump's cabinet who allow him to tell lies and not say anything, you know, is it that rather than seeing an increasing lying, what we're seeing is um, a wider failure in moral courage? And could we do better at teaching children and helping each other to be much more morally courageous? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm. 